0: Hello, you're very welcome to Purple Psychology Podcast. You're here with Melanie Hoskin and as always, Dr. Nisha O'Reilly. Hello. You're very welcome, Nisha. Today we're talking about Jane Goodall.
1: Yes. Who is Jane Goodall? She's one of our best known conservationists. Her most famous book is My Life with Chimpanzees, which I read a number of years ago. And it was was a hugely profane read for me at the time. So I went to see Jane uh, earlier this week, and it was one of those films where you kind of have to make a special effort because it only shows at lunchtime, you know, for three days or something. Mm. Um, And I was really glad I did because the film is essentially all of the footage that goes with her book, My Life in Chimpanzees. So it's all set in Gambia. Um, It's the very early footage they actually thought was lost, and they'd rediscovered it again only in 2014. And what's really nice about it is it's her future husband who films... Um, all of the documentary. So what happened was, um, the reason that I really like her, I suppose, was that growing up, she really had this vision that she wanted to work with animals. She was a bit of a tomboy, um, didn't do particularly well in school, wasn't from a particularly rich background, but had this vision that she was going to end up working in Africa with animals. And through a whole series of events, she ended up being a secretary, saving all of her money. She ended up being a secretary to a researcher who, I suppose, saw something quite special in it, saw her attention for detail and her observational talents, but also saw that she didn't have an academic background, which actually went in her favour, because he wanted to send somebody out... To look at chimpanzees and to observe them in their natural wildlife which nobody had done to date at that stage Mm. and he wanted someone who didn't have any preconceived ideas he really felt that chimpanzees held the keys to early man and how humans had actually developed but he didn't want somebody who had read a lot of literature and had a lot of preconceived ideas to go out and look Mm. at them he wanted somebody with fresh eyes Mm. so she literally went out there on her own her mother actually accompanied her um, in order for it to be safer to be out there and um, she was completely isolated. Um, she worked for about five months with without really getting close to the chimpanzees and without them trusting her, and without really, she was kind of observing them from a hill through binoculars and not really finding out very much. And there was a huge turning point, luckily, just before the money ran out in the project, Hmm. where she saw that the chimpanzees were taking bamboo leaves and they were stripping all of the leaves off them. And then they went and found a termite hill, And they stuck the sticks into the termite hill in order to suck out all the termites so that they could eat them. And that was Mm -hmm. evidence of them making a tool Mm. and and devising a tool for a specific purpose. Mm. And that showed their their intelligence and their closeness to humans because other animals are not tool makers, basically. Mm. So at that point, National Geographic decided to fund the project for the continuous research. And they sent out, part of the agreement was they would send somebody out to film it. Which she was obviously a little bit apprehensive about because she had had, what had happened was that one chimp, um, I think she called him Greybeard, had begun to trust her in the group and actually led her into the den and accepted her and accepted her being quite close. So she was a bit apprehensive of the idea of other people coming in and whether or not um, they would understand it. But the person that was sent out anyway was very similar to her, different in some ways He smoked like a chimney, which drove her nuts because she always hated (laughs) cigarettes. But he did always have the same passion like her growing up, that he wanted to be around animals and film animals. And so, lo and behold, as she said herself, it became very obvious to her that she was as much of a person of interest to him as the chimpanzees were. So it wasn't surprising that they ended up getting married and having a son. Mm. Um, And... It, I think for me, it was it, it's an extraordinary film because you see her being interviewed in her current age. Mm. And I think her passion for what she does really comes through. Like, at a point, I think it was in 1991, she decided to set up um, Roots and Shoots, which is um, a foundation, because she saw that the chimpanzees were dying off, and she thought that the way to to save them was to educate the current population in Africa. So she hasn't actually been consistently in any place for longer than three weeks since 1991. So Mm. that will kind of show you her drive. And at this stage, she's in her 90s. Mm. Um, And being interviewed, like, she's still completely passionate, completely driven Um, Mm. Which, again, it it reminds me a lot of people like David Attenborough, which we talked about in the past, That whole concept of retirement going Mm. out the window for some Mm. people. So I think there's a lot that people can take from the film. I think it's this idea of um, belief of what you want, the fact that you can go about something in your own way. Um, Her notebooks are extraordinary to to look at the observational detail. I suppose I've always identified with her, because I always joke that I observe people in the same way she observes chimps. And that's what I really saw when, when I mm. read her book. Mm. It was kind of like, yeah, I do that. And there was an element where, when she had her child, she said that it made her a better parent because she had watched the the chimpanzee group, and she'd watched Flo have her first chimp baby, mm. and she watched that development very closely and watched how good a parent Flo was to her chimpanzee and how close they had got. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some profoundly difficult moments in the film because... Um, at one stage when one of the chimps dies, there's a, a splinter group of chimps that move to the south of the island because they're no longer held together in the hierarchy mm-hmm. um, because there's one that flows the, the head of the female chimp group. Yeah. And the other chimps actually um, seek them and kill them all and all of, at this point, the research centre in Gambia was quite big. Like, it had gone from just her being out there to having a whole series of students out there to do observations. And so they all kind of, act, they couldn't interfere in this, but they had to sit back and watch this warfare taking place mm. where all of the chimps that had actually split away were killed. And as she said, that was, it was a profoundly difficult moment for her because they got to know all of these chimps and knew them all. And yet you were seeing the worst of human nature developing in the chimps, you know, that, yeah, that, that yeah. war instinct that we have and watched it played out. You know, it was it was quite quite horrific because mm-hmm. you, you know these you know these chimps very she had studied well. Studied them all. Yeah. Studied yeah. them all and they were all personal friends. Yeah. for yeah. all of the people involved. And they got to see their worst side of them. Yeah. So it's a it's a hugely emotional film but I, I think there's an, an awful lot that people can take from it. Like what? Following what you want to do. Um, not feeling constrained by school. Where there's a kind of a will, there's a way. The fact that when you think differently, I think too many of the people that come to work with me are the people who think differently and are being kind of made to feel like there isn't a place for them. There's always mm. a place for you somehow. Mm. Um, and what was her experience with school? Um, <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't do particularly well. Mm. You know, like, it, it, it's, it's quite ironic to look at somebody who was presented a PhD for her work afterwards, after the fact, I'm pretty sure it's from Cambridge, mm. and, um, but, you know, but didn't have a degree or didn't really finish school to do particularly well in school, mm. wasn't academic in any way, shape or form, barely got through a secretarial course you know, to go from that to being presented a PhD because of the way of your thinking and your looking and your findings. And how many years did she spend out there studying those uh, chimpanzees? Well, she's still out there and there's still a huge research centre, but she essentially got to spend 50 years um, consecutively studying the chimps. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a point where her husband, whose name escapes me, um went off, he, he became the best film documentary maker of the Serengeti. And okay. so she did actually spend a number of years in the Serengeti with him as well. And then she missed Gambia too much and she went back to Gambia. So, and, and I, I, I thought this was, I'd love to meet their son and talk to him because he went from a childhood of being in, in Gambia with the chimps. Mm. Um, and they had to be very protective of him because the chimps are can be quite um, destructive towards babies. Yeah. And so he was kind of in a a playpen kind of cage set up to keep him safe. You know, it was like a full like high crash, you know, it was was very (laughs) cool. Like, you know, inside high Um, security, high security (laughs) crash. But then he went from there to the Serengeti. Mm. um, And then at a point of maybe when he was about six or seven, they sent him back to to school in London. He went back to boarding school. Like, I was like, how do you go from the Serengeti to boarding school? And he's actually a boat builder now. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I I think his journey must have been fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what he can remember
0: about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd say, I'd say they got some slack for that having a baby
1: up in. In, in in the mountains or the forests? Or no, I think it was a fascina- I think it was a fascination to people. Like, um, it, there was a part of the film where um, he, he's actually interviewed by uh, I think it's by the BBC mm. um, out in the Serengeti and talking about the different sounds that all the different wild animals make because he knows them so well. Mm. And they they went to the trouble of I suppose teaching him safety of animals. So he was very familiar with both the dangers and the good sides mm. um, but it was an extraordinary childhood
0: yeah does it show a bit of a lack of boundary though in in the mother and jane and
1: his father um exposing him to danger no there were very they were they were hugely conscious of it and she um she actually managed to divide um her time she ended mm. up coming across as um quite an extraordinary mother like mm. um she spent every morning in the research centre with the chimps, and every afternoon was entirely devoted to him. Mm-hmm. So she managed to completely divide her time yeah, between, um, so. between the two. Mm-hmm. It was quite extraordinary, and it was a very conscious decision to homeschool him and to keep him safe and mm-hmm. to sort of teach him enough but keep him very separate as well. Mm-hmm. He, he mm-hmm. actually had the best of every world. It was quite. Yeah. A, it really came yeah. across in the film, actually. Well, he grew up in the environment, and then he had her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so no, and they they, they came across as quite extraordinary.
0: And what do you think it was in her personality that drove her? Could any personality
1: type, like, adapt to that kind of thing?
0: Or is it a personality type thing?
1: No, I think it is a personality type thing. And, and the next episode we're going to record is specifically on INFJs. Mm. I think I identify with her so much because it's very clear to me that she's an INFJ. Right. It's incredibly clear to me, even watching the interview style of her and her her drive and that sense of um, the the way forward is to educate other people. It's it's not just about you know telling mm. people what's wrong. Mm. It's about actually empowering them. Mm. Um, It's how much she empowered the students to continue on the work. There's such a legacy of work there. And there's just such empathy from her as well. And she was really um, accepted by the chimps that I think that was that's the most extraordinary part in the film watching the film
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it, it's so clear like there's such a bond there mm-hmm. and there's a, a recent footage I'll try and get it and put it up on our Facebook page but there's recent footage of her um, releasing a chimp to the wild and he's taken out of the cage and he wanders around and he kind of says goodbye to everybody but then he gets back up on the cage and gives her a massive hug for about 10 minutes mm-hmm. and it's you know like it's it's a real case of thank you very much for everything you've done for me mm-hmm. and then he heads mm-hmm. off into the wild it's it's a really mm. beautiful clip of like about two minutes, and you get this real sense of just mutual respect between a chimpanzee and a human. The mm, um, connection, yeah.
0: And she would have been there for like many generations of, of chimpanzees.
1: Yeah, and and I think I think that's that that's part of you know why it's so traumatic when there was mm. that warfare, and there was also a polio outbreak at one stage as well, which was hugely traumatic as well for them. But yet, yeah, like they saw like the first chimp babies born into that particular group mm. and watch mm. them grow up mm. and, and have babies of their own yeah and yeah. continue on so it's an it's an extraordinary project it's an extraordinary film very good any more anything else you'd like to add to it no okay well if anyone can
0: get their hands on that movie or get to see the movie or download the movie yep it uh, might be a good idea thanks a million. thank you dr nisha bye